Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. That guy never finishes. That's what Molly used to say about me, remember, Carlos? When I was still riding motorcycles. <laughs> Number 10, Ogisa, independent, has just equaled today's luck record and is now trying to break it. This is Bob Barsha with Fox Sports. Normally, I'm at the racetrack or the Barrett-Jackson auctions for television. But if I'm not, I'm going to be listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I hope you will, too. Set the way back machine. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out our archive page where you can listen to all 380-some-odd shows. That's pretty amazing. Good evening, Tommy. How are you? 384. 384. Wow. Yes. You know, they used to say, 384, who's counting? I'm counting. I'm counting because we're going to be at 500 by the end of uh, May of next year. That means that will be the conclusion of our eighth year or the beginning of our eighth year. No, we're in our... Next year. Yeah, next year. Well, wait a minute. We're seven and a half years now. So 2020? <laughs> no, 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 no. 2018 should be eight full-blown years. That's actually pretty good. You know, so we've done pretty good. We've had some pretty, pretty, pretty amazing guests on the show. In fact, we have another amazing guest for you. Now, you guys are probably wondering how I come up with some of these guests. And uh, there is a process, and it's uh, kind of interesting how it works because a lot of it has to do with maybe an event that I went to. So, like, for example, we were at SEMA a couple of weeks ago or three, four weeks ago, 
And, uh, you know, pretty much everybody and anybody that's anybody in the automotive world will be there. So it's pretty easy because people are there. They're accessible. Now, fortunately, I have a little thing in my favor. I, I can talk a little bit about cars. Some people think I know a lot about cars. I do know a little bit about cars. But again, but I'm but I'm kind of talkative myself, and so I can approach these people. And because we kind of have a track record, optimum optimum word there, a uh, track record, we've had some pretty amazing guests on our show. So people feel comfortable figuring, hey, this guy can talk to talk, walk to walk, and I'm sure he'll do a pretty good job if I come on the show and he interviews me. Obviously, I need you know, the the format is kind of like this. You know, as you know, we kind of play a movie clip at the beginning of the show. We play a, a song. And when the guest comes on, generally that part of the show, that segment of the show is kind of tailored to whoever the guest might be. So if the guest likes classical music, we might play classical music, uh, opera, as in the case when uh, Michael and, or uh, Mario Andretti was on our show, uh, might be uh, hard rock in the event that uh, somebody else comes on the show, uh, might be jazz and uh, in the case of, let's say, like Bill Warner, who comes on our show from time to time. And uh, matter of fact, every year he's the uh, founder of Amelia Island. He likes jazz. And uh, so, you know, we kind of do that. And tonight we have another gentleman coming on who's got a very extensive background in the automotive racing world, starting back in the 50s. And I'm looking forward to having him on the show. Now, the reason I picked this particular gentleman is because a lot of times they're relevant to maybe a project I'm working on or, like I said, maybe an event or something that I was at. Now, speaking of events, let me just go ahead and move forward here to the Florida Car Shows Minute, FLA Car Show Minute. So you guys want to find out where all the car shows are? Go visit flacarshows.com, and you can find out where all the car shows are that are taking place here in the state of Florida. That's our good friend Tara Bush over there in Orlando, and she's hooked up pretty heavily with the guys over there at Ace Cafe. You might want to check out their website because they've got something going on all the time. Now, here's what's going on this weekend. FOS, Festivals of Speed, is this weekend in Orlando at the Ritz-Carlton, okay? An event that I am for certain going to be at is the Historic Sports Car Racing 12-Hour Classic at Sebring. That starts, well, they're there today, and uh, they're setting up. So it actually starts taking place Friday, Saturday, Sunday, as far as racing. And then Thursday, I think, is uh, Test and Tune, you know, time trials and things of that nature. So that's the place you want to go this weekend if you want to see some really, really cool vintage race cars. And there's usually a couple of 200 to 250 cars on hand all sorts, vintage Porsches, Ferraris, Jaguars, Austin Healey, Shelby's Camaros, Pontiacs. Uh, they've got LMP cars. They've got uh, GT cars, GTO cars, GTS cars, cars out of the 70s, 80s, 90s, even 2000s. So we've got a lot of really, really cool cars going um, at that particular event. Now, also, uh, Sunday, first Sunday of the month, Sumter County Swap Meet. Don't forget to check that out. Garage One, our good friends over there, Gene Teston. Garage One has... Their cars and coffee this Saturday. Okay, not to mention Reeves Import Motor Cars has their cars and coffee this Saturday. Okay, so you go to Reeves Cars and Coffee, you hit that place like around six, six, seven, and then if you hurry and you get over to Jeans at uh, Garage One, you might get some donuts. There'll be certainly coffee there, but you might get some donuts as well if you get there early enough. But Reeves has an ongoing, seems like sometimes an endless supply of. This is what it calls things. Uh, beignets. That's it. Beignets. So, and it's usually a long line. So that usually starts pretty early, but usually eh, about eight o'clock, eight thirty, there's still a whole bunch of beignets and a whole bunch of people have eaten them already. So there's probably a few left, and you could uh, check that out and stand in line for some beignets and some good coffee and see some really cool cars and meet some really cool people. In fact, uh, one of our regulars that's uh, been on a show a time or two, Mason Dixon. He's a regular over there at. Uh, Reeves Import Motor Cars, Cars and Coffee, and he usually shows up with something pretty cool. All right, now back to my special guest this evening. One of the things that I do, and I'm sure a lot of you know, is I do appraisals, pre-purchase inspections, and diminished values. And I'm currently working on a number of cars, and two cars in particular that I'm doing right now as far as diminished values is a 2017 Mustang GT that was hit in the rear and buckled. That's important. Buckled. Okay, that means eh, structural. And the other one is a 2017 Chevy truck, which I haven't seen that one yet, but I've seen the pictures. Okay, so I'll keep you guys informed as to how that turns out. But uh, that one wasn't too bad. But a late model car that's been hit has damage. And the first question me as a dealer or any other dealer is going to ask you is, hey, has the car had any paintwork or damage? And if you say yes, of course, now we have this thing called, uh, let's see what they call it. Oh, something with a fox. What's that thing called? Uh, you know, that car. Oh, Carfax. Carfax, Carfax, Carfax. I knew it said something to do with a fox. Anyway, and then there's True Car, and there's a couple other reporting agencies. So basically, you Google in the serial number, and then if it comes up uh, 
dirty. That means it has uh, a car a Carfax. Something has been reported in Carfax saying that it's had some previous issues. They will show up. Now, does that affect the value of your car? Absolutely, positively. You know, or absolutely, positively, however which way you want to say it. Definitely, because, uh, you know, if you got two identical cars there, one has damage and one hasn't, and it's a few thousand dollars, three, four, five thousand dollars difference, generally in the back of your mind, your subconscious mind says, nah, you know, all right, you know, five thousand dollars difference if I'm a cash buyer is a lot of money. But if I'm financing it, five thousand bucks is yeah, maybe 50 bucks a month difference in payments. For 50 dollars a month, I'd rather have a nice, clean car. Where I feel sorry for some of these guys is, is that, like, for example, the guy with the Mustang, he hasn't even had 1,500 miles on his car, hasn't even made the first payment and got drilled in the rear. So that's not cool. So he's not happy. So does he have a claim? Absolutely, positively, or absolutely, positively. Sure he does. Anyway, a couple of the cars that I'm appraising right now, I've got some really cool stuff. One is a meticulous. Now, these are big money cars, big, 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 big money, like seven-digit cars. I've got a uh, 1938 BMW 328. Amazing car. They only made, eh, guessing, well, you know, documentation-wise, they say that there's 462 cars. I always wonder when they give an odd amount of numbers, but could be. But we speculate that half of them are still around, and of those, which would be a little more than 200, of the 200, the bulk of them are in Germany, and there's a few over here in this country but those are big, 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 big money cars. Absolutely stunning, incredible car. All original sheet metal, all original panels, excellent condition. The gentleman that owns it's owned the car since the 80s. He did the restoration himself. Thousands and thousands and thousands of hours went into this car. Really, really, really cool piece. Now, as I get these cars completed, I will be posting them on my website. So you can see some of the really cool stuff I do. Some of the cars that are on there are more your, you know, boilerplate kind of cars. There's, you know, Mustangs, Thunderbirds. Um, there's a few race cars on there. There's a Mercedes 300 SL, a couple Porsches, uh, Maserati, and some things like that. And that's pretty cool. But now I'm getting a little bit more and more into a little bit more serious, unusual cars. As in the case, I've got a couple of very, very rare race cars. Um, one's an Aston Martin DB4 that was converted to a race car. Pretty interesting piece. Um, pretty pricey. And uh, six figures. Well, deep into the six figures. And then I've got a couple of vintage... Uh, a vintage Ferrari, which is definitely way deep in the seven figures numbers. Pretty cool. And then I've got this really cool car. We played the clip from the movie last week, and it was the it's a 1957 Curtis 500X, and it's called the Caballo Due. Okay, and uh, interesting car. If you get a chance, check that car out. That was a Mille Mille car or Mille Miglia. Depends on who you talk to, how you pronounce it. Some people say Mille Mille, some people say Mille Miglia. Uh, the G is pronounced, and I think it's Mille Miglia. So, at any rate, that's a very, very prestigious race in Italy. It's been going on since the turn of the century, I guess, and due to safety reasons, they stopped it in right around 1957. So, in order to compete in the Mille Mille, you have to have a pre-1957 car. And so, it's a big deal because they've revived that event, and now uh, a lot of people with very, very affluent means tend to fly their vehicles over there and participate in the Mille Miglia, which is a pretty cool race. So you can look that up. That's pretty cool. And um, we have something similar to, we have a couple of races here in the United States, but they're nothing as close and nothing as prestigious and nothing as historic. And we do the Colorado Grand over here, which is basically a thousand miles. They drive through the Colorado Rockies and uh, for a couple of days and have a lot of fun. Some really cool cars. So you see some amazing, amazing cars. But anyway, where I'm going with this is that I'm doing a Nissan GTP car, and uh, which was the car that pretty much in 88, 89 dethroned the famous Porsche 962. So that's kind of when Porsche was kind of backing out of it a little bit. Technology was getting pretty sophisticated. Rules and regulations were impacting, you know, the race series of cars, which is not uncommon, and which is okay, you know, because then basically it kind of... Uh, is the forefront or the introduction to bringing, you know, different competitors and different cars and different styles of cars. So they changed the rules. But anyway, so in 1988 and 89, Nissan was pretty strong with their Nissan GTP, GTP ZX 88 series cars. And then in 90, they changed the car. They rebodied it again and rebuilt the car again. And they had a new car with new fuel injection, new motors. And these are V6 twin turbos, by the way, uh, pushing serious horsepower. So they had the NP90, and then in 91, they had the NP91. Then Toyota jumped into the game. I'm giving you guys a fast history here. And that was uh, run by Dan Gurney and All-American Racing, AAR. Hence, you guys, Mopar guys, are familiar with the AAR CUDA, which is All-American Racing, which was a Dan Gurney thing. 
because he raced those cars back in the day. At any rate, uh, so what I'm doing is I'm talking a little bit about the cars and some of the guests that I will be having on the show here over the next uh, couple of weeks, like, as in the case of John Starkey that was on our show last week because one of the cars that I'm doing is a Lolo 270. So we were talking about Lolas because John was involved with the Lola 270s. He raced them back in the day, and he wrote a couple of books dedicated to the Lola 270s and the uh, Mark IIs, Mark Threes, and Mark Bs. And a very interesting book. But anyway, so tonight we have a gentleman that was involved with Nissan Motorsports of North America. I'm looking forward to having him on. And he ran a very successful campaign, but his roots are in British sports cars. Now, having said that, I think uh, Tommy's got something queued up on the turntable for us. And then we're going to take a short break, and we'll be by, 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 be, we'll be right back. And uh, maybe I should slow it down. You know why I talk fast? Because I only have 53 minutes to get as much information as I possibly can. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't touch that dial. Here's a little Pearl Jam. Listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt. At the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. We're back. You're shooting into Nostalgic Radio Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. We talked a little bit earlier about, um, Tommy, is my mic on? I think so. Okay. I don't know if it's me or my ears or something. Maybe i got some wax on my ears. Who knows? But anyway, um, so we were talking about uh, cars. Actually, I was talking a little earlier about uh, some of the cars and coffees that are going on this week, and I forgot to mention Garage One. Garage One's a pretty cool product. It's a detailed product, but they got all kinds of other stuff that goes with that. So be sure and Google Garage One products or Google www dot uh, garage one dot com whatever it is and uh, you know me it's like i'm kind of relaxed about that 
But at any rate, uh, Garage One works really good. Now, let me tell you how good this works. Now, I have a uh, an old Pinto bean that I've had for a long time. Now, just recently, I started driving it around a little bit. And it had a few little, uh, let's just say, shall we, some rust spots on it. But it wasn't rust spots because it was rusty. It was because the car was clean. The car came from Arizona. That's where I've had it for, for a number, number of years and brought it back here a few years back. And uh, so what happened was is I decided to go ahead and uh, use some Garage One product on there. They have a cleaning product, and they've got uh, their – it's a detail product, and I can't remember exactly which one it is. And if Bobby was here right now, he would sure as heck – Tell me because he was helping me do it. But anyway, so what we did is we took their cleaner and we basically, uh, and their little buffing material that they have, they have like a little buffing compound, and I buffed out the little rust spots that were on it. Then I cleaned it up real good with the cleaner. Then I put the Garage One uh, um, Pro, I guess it's the Garage One. I should know this by now. That's shame on me. And, uh, oh, here we go. Bobby sent me a text. I know. It's Garage One Pro. GarageOnePro.com. There we go. Okay. Thanks, Bobby. He's in Orlando, uh, and he's listening to the show on the um, on the uh, computer. I'm surprised he didn't call in. Oh, here we go again. He sent me another one. Speedwax. That's it. Speedwax. I'm doing real good. Anyway, so I put the Speedwax on it. Now, there I did this, believe it or not, six weeks ago. Six weeks ago, okay? The car's been sitting outside because I really haven't got room for it in the garage. And I'll tell you what. In six weeks, not one speck of rust. That stuff works so well. You talk about the ultimate coating on your car. I can attest that Garage One... Once you use their, you know, the compounds, you clean the car up and you and you prep the surfaces, and then you use the Garage One Speed Wax, Speed Wax, Speed Wax, your car will shine forever and ever and ever and ever. So I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty impressed with that. So if you want to get more of the product, be sure and check out Garage One, and uh, it's GarageOnePro.com, GarageOne.com, and don't forget to check out the Cars and Coffee this week. Say hi to Gene, and if you mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, when you get there, you'll get a discount. And if he sits there and goes, huh, you just tell him I said so, because I said it on the air, and that's how you found out about it in the first place. Anyway, so I think it's about time to get with our guests on the show. Tommy, you want to go ahead and uh, set up for our guests and give them a call? And then meanwhile, I will uh, I'll, I'll, I'll ramp, rap, rap, yeah, rap some more here about cars. But the uh, gentleman coming on, I'm on his website, and uh, he's got some pretty cool cars in there. There's a lot of Triumphs on there, and I have some really good friends in the Tampa Bay British Car Club. And a big shout-out to those guys. And uh, so I think in two weeks, we're having a British car picnic over at Philippi Parkway. It's kind of a traditional thing we do. And I think we do it in the spring. Well, actually, in the, yeah, kind of in the spring. Late spring, I should say. March, April, or May, April, May, somewhere in there. Just before the rainy season. And then we do one in the fall. Now, this time of the year is perfect because it's cool out. So it works real good. So we have a little barbecue. We have to get together. And usually 40, 30, 40, sometimes 50 cars show up there. You know, a lot of vintage stuff. So you also have Triumphs. You'll have Austin Healy. You'll have MGs. We'll drive our MG over there. Um, you'll have all kinds of British cars. Once in a while, you get lucky. There'll be a Jaguar and a Aston Martin and a few other cars. So I think what uh, Tommy's going to do is throw something on the turntable here real quick. He's going to call our guests. And I'm going to hush for a few minutes. And, uh, again, don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreetMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. Don't forget to tell your friends every Tuesday night right here on the Tantalk Radio Network, Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
I'll just make it so it fits my can. It's a different Frank Capua out there today. Much faster than on the first day of qualification. And here's the speed now for Frank Capua's second lap. 166.189 miles per hour. It seems that Capua's really regained his touch. Okay, we're back, and you tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman also was a race car driver at one point in his uh, illustrious career, and uh, he won the uh, he was a class champion for the California Sports Car Club back in the late '50s. But more recently, in the '90s, late '80s and early '90s, he was a, the team manager for Nissan Motorsports of North America. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Kaz Kastner. Kaz, how you doing? Pretty good. Well, I want to, again, thank you for coming on the show this evening. Uh, I played a little clip from a movie that was actually the 1966, 67, 68 movie with uh, winning with uh, Paul Newman in there. Oh, yeah. And um, so when you hear that sound, does that just kind of make your blood just kind of like, oh, okay. Um, I mean, do you just kind of like a soldier? You kind of like, okay, uh, I got to get up on my stand, my, my purse, and I got to call my, call my shots that, uh, so my, my team and my drivers know what they do. I can be, you can be assured that I recognize the sound. Okay. <laughs> well, give us a little background. Uh, you started racing sports cars in the 50s. So. I, started, I started racing in 1952. In fact, was, uh, my first race was, actual race was in Aspen, Colorado. Okay. And I uh, ran uh, hill climbs there in the Denver, the Denver Sports Car Club. And, and, uh, and had a, I was living in Salt Lake at the time. And uh, so I did that, and uh, the race they, they had a race in Salt Lake, and then I finally I started going out to them. I went, went to Pebble Beach and and all over the West uh, with my own private car, trying to learn how to do that business. Really, did you actually race at Pebble Beach in the racing through the forest back in the day? I was there, I was there to uh, as a as a watcher in okay. 50, in '53. And uh, in '55 and in '56, I was a contestant with my MG Special, and which uh, I had a blown head gasket and managed to do a few, managed to do some laps. And, and uh, but anyway, I was there. Okay, in '56, was it still uh, in the Del Monte Forest, or was that at Laguna oh, Seca by then? That was the last year in the forest when they had the 10-inch pine trees just off the road. Tell us a little about that. You are the actual first person that I've actually ever had on the show that actually drove in that event. Tell us what that was like, because I hear it was uh, pretty scary and hairy. Well, to me, 
it was regular because really? uh, I I started driving sports cars in in, in the mountains, and uh, we used to do twenty five thirty mile an hour races, all, you know, almost every night after work. And uh, there'd be half a dozen of us, or maybe as many as ten. Everybody who owned a car, and we'd say, "Well, I'll, I'll see you over at uh, the top of uh, Parley's Canyon or something." And uh, we'd all jump in the cars and, and go out. And you had to stay on your own side of the road, so you learned to drive fast without without uh, uh, going around blind corners and being stupid. Nobody got killed. Nobody ran off the road. You learned how to keep the car together. And uh, when I came down, came to the coast, it was. Uh, it was a piece of cake. I didn't see anything wow. wrong with it at all. Just don't fly off the road, and you'll be in good shape. You'd be okay, but it was a pretty narrow stretch, and there was a lot of trees, as they say, because it was literally through the forest, right? Oh, it was through the forest, absolutely. There was uh, there were trees on both sides of the road, uh, other than going up the front straightaway, which we had a kind of a, a up a little crest of the hill and then past the start finish line, and then it was trees both sides all the way around. Wow, that means that you were on the same track. As Phil Hill, Fonju, and all those guys, all the greats, right? Oh yeah, I saw. I was there when Phil Hill won in the. I think he had a two point two Ferrari. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Bill Pollock was running the uh, the Cat Allard and all that. So what was it like? Now, how did they break up the classifications back in those days on on those cars? <laughs> now you you drove what? Tell us what you drove back then. Well, that, I had my MG Special. Okay. It was an MG with a uh, MG chassis chassis with a uh, aluminum body that I built. Oh, interesting. And, and yeah, I built it out of a Sears and Roebuck roofing aluminum. And, <laughs> and, and about 35 pounds of sheet metal, sheet metal screws. So there was no pop rivets in those days. No pop rivets. Wow. So, like, so, the, so you, so what was the chassis? Was it an MTT, TD, no, TC? No, it was an MGTD. It was it a was TD. An MGTD. 19, okay. Yeah, 1952 MGTD. Okay. And, and it was my, it was my, it had been my streetcar. And after coming down, being inspired by Ken Miles and, and what he did in 1953, I came home and and took a hacksaw and cut right through the main uh, the main wiring cable through the firewall, and uh, took the body off. I said, "We will build a race car." Wow! I, I brought 90 bucks from a friend and bought a bought a 1939 Studebaker to drive on the street while I was building it. Interesting. Anyway, long long ago. Yeah, no, 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 that's fascinating. So let me ask you this. What kind of inspired you to get into racing? What was kind of like your forte into that uh, realm? It, it, there was nothing really inspirational. Uh, it just, uh, you know, we had quarter midgets and uh, that, that kind of thing, which was always fun to go to, and you drove like a crazy man on your way home after watching them. Uh-huh. And, uh, but but other than that, there was nothing that, other than you get road and track once a month. And you get a report from from Europe and uh, that kind of thing. I, I sent got some books. Uh, I sent to England. I got books to uh, engineering books on and, and books on the cars. I sent to Germany for tools that would fit the cars, and uh, and took the owner's owner's manual with the, with the car and learned how to how to deal with it. Interesting. Now back in those days when you were start working on your cars and stuff. So whatever happened to that car? I mean, did you look at the car when you got rid of it as an old sports car, or did you keep it hanging around and move on to something else? Or what was your what was going through your mind back in those days? I, I never kept anything. Never kept anything, really? No. And when they were gone, they were gone. Okay. I just, <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't liken it to a divorced wife, but it might be the same thing. <laughs> I mean, okay. When you're out of here, you're out of here. I just I never looked back at a car. Okay. Wish, oh, gee, I wish I had that car again. Never happened. Now, Never happened. Okay. Now, I know you were involved. You had a couple of Triumph TR's, TR series, so TR3s and stuff. So when did you get involved with Triumphs? Well, I got it. I started with Triumph in, what, 54 uh, when I bought a car because I could get out six foot four, and uh, I had trouble with the MG. My MG Special I had my right leg all cocked out around it, and it was, you know, a, a trial to to uh, to race it two uh-huh. years. And uh, anyway, uh, I could get in the, the uh, TR2, and I could get it back far enough to where I couldn't even reach the pedals, and I thought that was pretty great. Okay. And that that was my introduction to it, but it, the, the 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 love the love uh, didn't last long. So how long did you have the Triumph? Because you were, I guess, in 1958, you were the uh, class champion for the California oh, yeah. Sports Car Club. Well, that's well, that's that's several years later. That's three or four years later. Uh, after I moved to California, because all all this took place in Salt Lake. Salt oh, Lake. okay, all right, good. So I'm. I, kind of... I was I was there by chance, not by design. Okay, 
So then, and uh, I mentioned to you, we talked a little bit on the phone, I mentioned uh, Ed Deal, and he's a local guy here. He's actually very heavily involved in SCCA back in the day. And, uh, and I see Ed from time to time with uh, a number of the other British car guys that are, hang out at the British Car Club here. But you said that uh, Ed drove for you at one point in time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I started the competition department for Triumph in the U.S. It was the first manufacturer's oh. competition department in the USA. Okay. I, I started it. I was the lone employee for about two years. But during that time, in 19, well, 1962, I prepared three cars to take to Sebring, uh, three brand-new TR4s. And uh, so Mike Cook and I cooked up this deal, and uh, Mike Cook was a uh, PR manager in New York. And uh, and so we had all the top Triumph drivers uh, come down to drive the cars. And Ed Deal was one of them. He, he came with Bob Tullius. Okay. And uh, I can't remember just without thinking about it, uh, quickly all the other guys. But uh, Bob Cole from out here. Uh, anyway, I think we had eight drivers. And uh, the three cars, I had uh, I had two guys to help me run three cars for 12 hours, uh, which was interesting. And uh, and we won the class, one, two, four. Wow. And then we went back and did it again in 1966 with the, with the new IRS cars. And uh, that, in, that, in that race, we went one, two, three, and won the team prize. Are those cars around? Uh, one of them has been, one of the 63 cars has been restored, and it is in England. Okay. In fact, it's the fellow who owns it, uh, won our Kastner Cup in 2010. Okay. Now... So, and that's the only one I know that's been found. Okay. Those Triumphs, now, would those have been considered works cars? Did you have a lot of... Um... Yes. Yeah, they considered them the works cars. I mean, I worked for the Triumph factory. Mm-hmm. And uh, and had an ongoing dialogue with the, with the factory and and fact is, um, I think in some cases they depended on me for for some of the things that we we did and how we did them because I I certainly made a lot of trips there. Those cars compared to street cars, how much different were the 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 works cars as opposed to the car that I would actually buy at the local British car dealer? Fifty horsepower. Fifty horsepower. Okay. What about suspension and bodywork and things of that well, nature? The bodywork would be identical. Okay. But, uh, the suspension naturally would would be changed. Uh, mm-hmm. Tires, wheels, brakes, uh, whatever whatever the maximum regulations allowed, right to the end. Okay. Were they relatively like, for example, when you did a lot of your testing, was all the testing done back on the West Coast where you were at, and then? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, there really wasn't much testing. I mean, I've been racing the cars. Uh, you know, at this at this point, uh, for five years, mm-hmm. and uh, racing and, and having somebody you know, as a driver, and uh, and so very uh, close uh, scrutiny of, of the the racing and the testing. So there really wasn't a lot of testing in the cars. We knew what we were what we were putting into the cars, and we knew exactly what we expected to get from them. Mm-hmm. So nothing about that was strange. And of course, the horror stories I'd heard about streaming uh, about the Sebring why I planned as much as I possibly could on what that condition of that track was going to be and what it was going to do to my nice cars. <laughs> the uh, Well, the TR3, because you, you drove TR3s quite a bit, the TR4, when it came out, I think it was like 62 or 63, was pretty much the same car. It had the ladder suspension on it. It wasn't until the later TR4s and the IRS cars where they changed the frame and everything underneath them, right? Well, you know, there wasn't really that much of a frame change, but the the uh, the IRS cars, of course, were, were different. But the B-Maxwell car in the, in the beginning, the track was four inches wider, so the, the TR4 should be substantially quicker than a, than a uh, uh, TR3. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, of course, they went to roll up. Well, a, lot of, a lot of nice things, you know, and it wasn't the quick roadster that you could do with a TR3. But uh, anyway, they... Uh, it's funny that the TR3s now have gained as much popularity as they had back in the 50s. Interesting. So now, then you were involved with another, other, a number of other racing teams. Now, so how did you kind of morph into being a team manager? Was Triumph your first experience with them, and then that just kind of led to other things? Yeah. It, uh, when I went to when I went down with the three cars this evening, I thought I was going to be the chief mechanic. Because I built the cars, and and in fact, as I I had one fellow to help me to build these three cars after work, uh, at at uh, the uh, distributor's office here in in, in California, and uh, I got down there. I found out I was the team manager. Well, I've always been, uh, I've had, always had a knack for doing difficult programs with a minimum of money, and uh, I just I just fell right into it. it, it was, I didn't have any problem at all organizing it. 
because it's, uh, racing is done on a dictatorial standard. I mean, there will be no voting. <laughs> so uh, consequently, it, it's it's pretty easy to to get along with it. And, you know, you take care of your people, you take care of your cars, and you understand what the program is. You understand what you've got to work with and what you and what your goal is. Your um, Mont. Uh, trying to get my little computer here screwed up. Hang on a second here. Your thing or one of your mantras is never been beaten, never be beaten by equipment. Right. So um, I know exactly where you're coming from, but tell us a little, elaborate on that a little bit. That's that's well, most people who are, are beaten. Is that they're beaten by either doing a poor job of maintenance, or they bought something too cheap, or they bought the wrong thing, or they're not using it properly, and that's allowing your 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 equipment to beat you. There are a f- number of, I should say, a handful of racing teams out there that have notoriously been known for, um, let's just say, being very precise and very very procedural. So I'm going to use Carroll Shelby's team as an example. And I'm going to use Roger Penske because those are the, probably the two. And I think Dan Gurney is another one that falls in that category. Would you say that you fall in that category as well, that you oh. guys? Oh, absolutely. Okay. In fact, at one time, I, uh, I, I, I went to work for Carol to run his show for four days. Really? Yep. And uh, I went, came back from Sebring and Triumph was less than nice to me. And uh, the president of the company, when I asked for a little something, and uh, I was really, really irritated. And so I came back. They suggested if I wanted more, I should, I should seek uh, greener pastures. So I did. And uh, I, I don't show me when uh, before anybody had heard of him. And uh, so he started up, and, and we had a conversation. We had a conversation with Ford, and I agreed to go to work for him. Interesting. And then I had to go to New York. This is all in one of my books, but anyway, it's a, you know, it's a, a bore to most people. Well, go ahead. So then you went to New York. Then what? Go so ahead. I went to New York, and, and Mike Cook was waiting at the gangway of the, of the aircraft when I when I got off, and he said, "Well, the you know, I, I sent in my notice of my retirement," and uh, and uh, he, he uh, said, uh, "The president they changed presidents, and the president wants to talk to you." I said, "Okay, let's go." He said, "No, no, no, on the phone." So right there in the airport, at, at what was then Idlewild, I, uh, I talked to the new president on the phone, and uh, we made a deal. And I really wanted to stay. I enjoyed what I was doing and where I was working and who I was working with and all that kind of thing. So uh, it worked out well. So I sent a telegram to Carol. says, I'm sorry, pal, I won't tell you. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Now, let's talk a little bit about your books real quick while you, you kind of segued into that. So tell us a little bit about your books, because you've written a number of those. I wrote uh, four books that really started off as just kind of a, uh, something to do. Mm-hmm. But I had all these memories, because with uh, I've been the, uh, the competition top guy for two different companies. One was Nissan and one was Triumph. And uh, they're just totally different jobs. I mean, with with Triumph, it was all uh, hands-on, uh, hands-on testing, hands-on work. I ran the lathe, I ran the mill, I made the parts, I tuned the engine, uh, I took a, the lap times and made the, made the entries. Uh, and with Nissan, it was strictly a manager's job of making this thing work. All the stuff was there, but it wasn't working. And my job was to straighten it out and make it work, which I did. So. Uh, and his memories, why, of course, it was all of these things and all of these rules that I had made up for myself when I was racing my own car on you do this, you never do that, you do this other thing, you never do that, and on and on and on. And I raced sailboats uh, at the same time and, and uh, as, as something else to do and made the same kind of rules. You know, when the wind's from the right, you go to the right. And that's just a, a simple rule. And, uh, and it all applied to uh, to every kind of sport, it seems. So it would be fair to say, then, just just an observation, that guys like yourself, Roger Penske, Carol Shelby, former race car drivers, former mechanic wrenches, you guys have a very, very good understanding of what it takes to be a team manager because you've been involved in all aspects from the bottom, from screwing a lug nut on a car, all the way up to, you know, writing a check. If you were successful at it, yeah. Okay. If you were successful at it. There's an awful lot of people that, that try to do it. They don't have a clue. 
And uh, there's a lot of people that have a lot of voting. There's a lot of people that are that are stumbling around because of, of sponsors, not making the, making the sponsor understand that you run the race team, not the sponsor, uh, and, and things of that nature. It's it's uh, it's an easy business easy business to watch and a fun business to watch, and extremely difficult. And if you haven't got a good sense of humor, you better go stick pins in the bowling alley. <laughs> Take us fast forward to 1988, 89, when Nissan dethroned the almighty Porsche 962. Yes, we did. Now, I'm a Porsche guy, so you're not going to hurt my feelings, but that's okay. I smiled every instant of the way because I used to have to race against the Porsches with my TR3. Okay. And they had every advantage in the world, and it was just a terrific fun to beat them. And I raced against Ronnie Bucknam and Lou Spencer and his Morgan and, and, and Ronnie Bucknam and his, and his uh, Spider. 56 Porsche. Yeah. And uh, I, was, I was just delighted to beat him. And, I was, and when we came out of the night with the 962, I said, there's a goal. And the, and the first race, in fact, is I think it was in uh, 1988, they had 14 962s and there was one Nissan. And they beat us to the, to the uh, manufacturer's championship by one point. So take us through the process a little bit. How were you brought into Nissan, and then what did you do to turn the, the, the Nissan of North America Motorsports Division around? Well, this is going to take about four days. Okay, well, we got four minutes. Uh, well, we'll, well, we'll, we'll wrap it up. We're okay. Getting people to do the jobs that they were good at uh-huh. and, and stop thinking about things you didn't have to worry about. You let me, you know, it was one of the things in our first meeting was they were supposed to go off and, and have a, uh, or to, to a race in, in, on the East Coast. And, and I said, there's no way. You're not prepared to go. You don't have the money to go. And the car isn't ready to go. So instead of going there, you're going to go to a test session. They said, well, Nissan is going to do that. I said, my job is to talk to Nissan. Your job is to talk to me. I'll take care of Nissan. You worry about me. And, uh, and getting the people in the team. Also, to you know, where they had faith in each other, in each other and uh, and a lot of good folks, and we came came on and finally found a good uh, uh, team manager itself uh, for the team that everybody appreciated, and uh, Ashley Page, and uh, it just it, things begin to click when you get people in their own comfort zone where they don't have to be concerned about uh, how the car is going to get there, and they don't have to worry about if the gas is going to show up. Or who the driver is going to be, and uh, there's just you know a myriad of things that uh, that have to be done. But it's getting the people that have the expertise to allow them to use it. The '88 car, the uh, the Nissan '88-'89 that basically right. won and set the trend. Right. Um, when you went came out with the '90 the '90 car, the NPT. 90 and the MPT 91s. Was there a vast difference in those two cars, and was that change essential to win? We thought it was because, you know, you don't stand still. Mm -hmm. So, actually, uh, we had long conversations about this. And, in fact, it was was a half a day conversation to to decide if it was going to be rear rear radiator or front radiator. And you looked at Europe and see what was going on there and how successful and why and what the reasons were and decisions are made. And uh, Trevor Harris was our designer, uh, and uh, so you you say this is I want this to happen. I'd like to see it this. I'd like to see that. You'd have various uh, wishes that you had in the new car that you didn't have in the old one because you didn't build the old one originally. The the original car was based on a Lola A10. When you came out with the NP90, was that a completely brand new car then? It was. It was ninety nine percent new. Yes. Okay. I mean, the chassis was totally different. I mean, instead of having the, the air go down through uh, several areas, uh, taken in through the nostrils and, and going down the side through the doors and all that, it went through the chassis. It went through the tub itself. Mm-hmm. How did so you... What it did is it took all of that effort when you're going to take the car apart or to put it back together again. Why Nothing has changed as far as that channel is concerned. Just another thing you don't have to worry about. A question I've always wondered too, and I and I kind of almost know the answer, but I want to hear you say it as well. Is 
you're from the old school. I'm kind of from the old school. I personally think that if a driver understands the car, the mechanics of a car, that makes him a better driver. A lot of the drivers today, I don't think really know much about a car. They're not really wrenches, but they can get in there with no fear and make that car do all kinds of amazing things. But technology helps them do that. What's your thoughts? I think that knowing about a driver that knows something about the car and had to work on the car itself gives good information to the engineering staff, and that's what makes the car better. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you have to depend on and something happens with the car or it doesn't work on that circuit, then you've got to depend on the talent of the driver, which is variable. And so if he's hurt, now where are you? Right. One you last. Can't, you can't have variables. No. One last quick question. Did you call the shots on who the driver was going to be? We had meetings about that. Donnie Deffendorf and I, we always talked about who, okay. was, who we were going to have as a driver and what we did. And we did a, we did a couple of tests and so on. Okay. Very interesting. Well, Kaz, I'm sorry. We're up against the clock. We've only got a, not even a minute left. But I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. I would love to have you come on again so we can take a little bit more time and talk about some of this other stuff. But this was a great introduction. And if people want to find out more about you, they just go to kazkastner.com, right? And they can find out all about you. That's correct. Okay. And the next time we'll talk about your uh, your race that you put on. And uh, But in the meantime, again, I want to thank you very much for coming on. And I know you got a birthday coming up here in the next couple of months, so happy birthday to you. Okay. And, uh, it's a while. It's a while. But it's a while. Be, hopefully it's coming. Okay. And uh, right. have a good Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And thank you again very much for coming on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in. Don't forget, check out our website. Nostalgic Radio and Cars. No, Gulfstream Motorsports. But don't forget to check out Nostalgic Radio and Cars as well. Tell your friends every Tuesday night on the Tantalk Radio Network here in downtown Clearwater. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. 